At what point did you see YouTube as a place that you could monetize? I think when my brother started making millions of dollars. <laughs> this is Van Nystat. He's an artist and a filmmaker who's been making videos long before YouTube was a thing. He also shares a last name with this guy. Shorty Award for YouTuber of the Year goes to Casey, Casey Neistat. Neistat. The Neistat brothers got their start with contemporary artist Tom Sachs in the early 2000s, but they were also producing movies of their own on the side. Their first major breakthrough came with iPod's Dirty Secret. It was Van's idea, and he was the one holding the camera. And that was like the big break. It went viral. The Washington Post did a big spread about it. We took our little partnership, the Neistat brothers, all the way to having our own show on HBO. I remember feeling really disappointed with the HBO thing because whenever you did something that made a little bit of a splash on the internet, it was like a big news story. It was like a big deal. You got a lot of attention. And then when the HBO show came out, it was just like another TV show's coming out. And like, that's not, nobody gives a shit. Like, that's no big deal. When HBO didn't pick up the show for another season, the Neistat brothers came to a creative crossroads. Casey went right and Van went left. I thought it was going to be a studio film director. During this time, Van continued his collaborative relationship with Saks, directing a feature film for his space program exhibition and producing ad campaigns for fashion brands. One thing Van has never done is start a YouTube channel. That is until now. We sat down with Van at his studio in Topanga Canyon to talk about his YouTube channel, the spirited man mantra that he lives by, and how someone like him, a true artist, is making a living on the platform. He successfully launched the channel with a Kickstarter and is now funding his videos with the help of his community on Patreon. Van's approach to his YouTube channel, like the way he approaches most things in life, is different. I'm curious, um, you know, you describe yourself, Tom and Casey, as kind of this collective. Yeah. You know, you do the Neistat brothers and then that collective kind of feels like it, does it break up or what, what happens to that collective? Well, I mean, it wasn't a collective because Casey and I were Tom's employees, okay. you know, and Casey was like, he ran Tom, he was like a studio manager for a while. We both started out as fabricators and then I was like a fabricator and making movies, but it was always in service to Tom's vision. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, he he gave me a great degree of, of of autonomy in like writing, you know, videos and so forth. But it was always in service to his sort of like um, philosophies as expressed through his work. Another reason, probably the principal reason why the, I wanted to do the HBO show is because I wanted my own kingdom. Like Tom had his own kingdom, Casey and I shared a kingdom, mm -hmm. and Casey had his own has his own kingdom, and I wanted my own kingdom. I didn't want to just be a collaborator because I've collaborated with wonderful people, but I wanted to be like the guy, the king, I guess, the yeah. guy. What was your experience like when, I guess, Casey started uploading more regularly to YouTube and became kind of a staple on that platform and had taken the art form there? There's this expression, find humility before it finds you. And it was extremely humbling. It was a humbling experience because, you know, sibling rivalry. I was like struggling to find success. And uh, he was, you know, and I didn't really follow along with the, his history, but he was doing so well and you couldn't help but notice it because he was like, he had buying houses and he had a nice apartment and, you know, and, and um, doing all this crazy stuff and like Dubai and all this and flying on these crazy planes. And just felt like I was just trying to like, 
be autonomous, but I didn't really have a, I didn't have like a thing. I didn't have like, I tried all these ideas and they failed. Yeah, it was just like a scramble. And also like I got sober. I like stopped drinking and doing drugs when I was 37. This was almost 10 years ago. And that's a huge adjustment. Mm -hmm. Like to go from like, you know, having this incredibly useful tool of drugs and alcohol um, to just like pulling that tool away. And now you have to like figure it. It's like starting from scratch again. And where were you at this point when Casey is, is daily blogging and growing? Where were so you? when did that start? What year was that? 2015. So 2015, I was in New York. And I had just, I was, I had just spent the winter of 2014, 2015 in um, Mexico for four months. And I was able to afford to do that because I did a J. Crew campaign that played in taxi cabs for Christmas like so I did it in like whatever October and I was able to had enough money to go to Mex I needed a break I was gonna die so I went to Mexico and then I came back from Mexico and I had the spirited man idea but I worked with Sa Tom Sachs and we did it took a long time we shot in 2012 his space program mm -hmm. installation at the armory in New York City and then we made uh, a feature film from the footage and additional footage and writing scripts and so forth. So that was like from basically 2012 to 2016, I think was when the film came out. And that's what I was, you know, that's what I was doing. And during that time when you're working on the space program and you've got your studio in the Bronx, yeah. are you still thinking in the back of your head at some point, I want to have my own kingdom. I want to run my own show here. Yeah. It's always there for yes. you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I had so many failed attempts at trying to write screenplays and writing and reading all the screenplay books and watching all the screenplay videos and all this stuff. But, but I never, I didn't have, I didn't do it. Um, you know, that's it. I just didn't do it. What do you think goes into now that you're starting to create, you know, your own kingdom, yeah. I would say, um, and your own footprint, specifically on the on the platform? like. How do you create your own kingdom as an artist? What does that entail? Just like reading that book, Shop Class as Soulcraft by Matthew B. Crawford and reading that line, The Spirited Man, it was like, it was like, oh, this clicks. This is what, this is it. This is the essence of what I would like to talk about <laughs> for the next 10 years. Spiritedness then may be allied with the spirit of inquiry through a desire to be master of one's own stuff. It is the prideful basis of self-reliance. A spirited man is what I am, and a spirited man is what I want to be. Why the spirited man? Like, what was the intention that talking about it would, would do for someone who watches? What would it give them? Why share it? Yeah, that's a great one. That's a great question. I was in a bike shop on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, and a 13-year-old kid came into the bike shop with his bicycle and the chain had fallen off and he it was a bicycle with a front and rear derailleur and the way you put the chain back on is you shift the derailleur down and pedal <laughs> you, you don't have to get off the bike and he needed someone at the bike shop to show him how to how to put the the chain back on and I taught myself how to ride a bicycle when I was five years old and I've taken it apart and put it back together by the time I was five and a half and so a couple things. You have a whole generation of kids who 
are fascinated by the analog world because they haven't had access to it because it's all been digital and virtual. And I am the last, my generation is the last of the native analog generation on planet Earth. That's it. After me, everyone's digital native. You know, I sent my first email when I was 22 years old. And so it just felt like, oh, there's a, this is something that isn't being filled. Just reading that book was so great because the story of that book is this guy, he went to, I think he went to like the University of Chicago and he was like a super smart guy and he got a PhD in philosophy and then he was a member of a think tank and he would make tons of money doing this consultation for big corporations, right? But it was making him basically suicidal. So he got a, he rented like a freezing cold basement of like some burned out building and just started restoring like BMW R bikes, which was like my first shifter bike was a BMW R bike. His book was about the philosophical significance of being able to work with your hands and to build something in the real actual world that has to work. You know, your success is does this thing work or not? Not that I convince so-and-so to buy my product or pay me a salary. And it really made me feel like it's okay to be a nerd. It's okay to be a book guy and be like a guy who loves cars and fixing stuff and blah, blah, blah. And that's the book where the two things kind of meet. And I hope that that my channel is that is where those kind of two things meet. It seems like there's this element too of like the, the joy and validation that comes from self-reliance. Yeah seems like it just is always emanating out of every video. I don't know that it's joy. I know it's very strange. <laughs> maybe but maybe validation is like, the right word. I like where would I be if I couldn't It's a stubbornness or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's very I don't know what it is. I think it's just like necessity is the mother of invention. I think it's a mindset. I think it's a power like a, a um what's a, a scarcity mindset yeah and, and the negative aspect of it is that you know what i mean is like god damn it i've had these boots since 2006 2006 <laughs> okay there's videos of me in 2006 wearing these boots and i've these they've been these soles have been replaced over and over again and it's just i don't know and i hold on to these devices too long and i don't know it's a combination of being cheap and then ambition and will and like you want to drive your shitty car across the country and you don't have enough money to do it if the car breaks you're gonna fix it you're gonna you know something like that's the humble brag about it yeah. is like oh it's you know it's the fruits of ambition the burden of dreams like hmm. that's what Les Blank called it Burden of Dreams, I love that. Yeah, have you seen that movie? Uh -huh. Oh, it's the making of Fitzcarraldo. Oh, cool. Of the Herzog film. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Our Colin and Samir videos, all the ones that we've made in the past, that is our library of content. And that library continues to gain viewership as well as money over time. But most of that money is actually made when the video is released. So over the next couple years, those videos will generate money, but it'll actually take a really long time for us to see all of that revenue. But the sponsor of today's video, Jelly Smack, has a solution for that problem called catalog licensing, which will give you all of that money up front. So instead of waiting for the next couple
couple years to generate the money from your library, you actually can get a check today to invest in the future of your business. But that's the key, to invest in the future of your business. If you're a creator and you're interested in this, you don't just want to take the money and let it sit in your bank account. You want to take the money and make more money. So let's say I want to launch a new merchandise brand and I need money to actually buy that inventory. And I feel like right now is the time that I can do this. Well, I can actually license my catalog to Jelly Smack, get cash today, and invest in that merch brand. Just so you know, that's not real money. This isn't real money? Jelly Smack would give you real money. Though. Are you even a real person? That's fake YouTuber money. Once you get to the site, you're gonna authorize your YouTube channel and then Jelly Smack will develop a custom quote for your channel and reach out to you. So when we say catalog licensing, Jelly Smack is licensing the AdSense revenue from the videos, not the actual videos themselves. And the money that they pay you is not a loan, so you don't have to pay it back. And you still earn all of the AdSense revenue from your future videos. Head to the link in our description and check out catalog licensing. It's definitely a great option for creators to get money today to invest in their future. Talk to us about how you started the channel. The Kickstarter, even now with the Patreon, like yeah. you talked about serving an audience and, and what's interesting is the way you've, the path that you've gone down, the audience is actually supporting your work even yeah. prior to them seeing the work. Where did that idea come from and, and that experience of a Kickstarter and even now a Patreon um, to have the audience support the work? Okay, so Kickstarter is something like that you know, I'd always known about. I had contributed to Kickstarters um, before doing my own. And I always, you know, I've got a fucking ego problem like everybody else. And I had always thought of it as sort of a form of like cheating or something. Very, very stupid, stupid, stupid ideas, you know, like for me. Like to have to, this mindset is very, very dumb. And it cost me and it was very foolish. But like, you know, oh, but you know, you, if you do a Kickstarter, that means you're just not good enough, blah, 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 blah. So I had resisted Kickstarter and I also had never had like a real concise idea. If I were to do a Kickstarter, it would be like for one little product, blah, 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 blah. So I, um, I made this, I made this video in 2016 and it was the, this first spirited man one. And it was the one where I was in the snow and I was living in this beautiful, we called it the mansion house. It was this gigantic um, apartment that Andy Spade had rented as like a movie set. It was like a f ridiculous apartment. And he was like, do you want to live there? You could live there just while, you know, I've already paid the lease on it. And so I lived there and I made this, I tried to write some stuff, but I made this uh, spirited man video about just really wanting to get the hell out of New York. Like I was just over New York. And, um, and then that just sat for a while and I kept thinking about it. It kept growing and growing. And I was thinking where you could go with it. I was like, well, I could just go and talk like all these, I'm reading all this stuff in these books and it's stuff that like I could talk about like my relationship to the things that I'm reading in books, you know, cause a lot of people read books and then there's no like, well, what's the personal thing yeah. mm -hmm. in the book that like you did and like, you know, you read that, that book and then you drive to Mexico, you know, you read the book about fixing things and then you drive to Mexico and like, yeah. And so that was the, the idea of it. And then I was, and then I thought about, well, there are these big themes I can talk about like gratitude and sobriety. And, um, and so I made six of them. And when I had six made, I thought, okay, well now I can launch the Kickstarter because I can, 
do examples in the Kickstarter, do screen grabs and say, I need this amount of money. And this is, I'll do six more with this amount of money and I'll, hopefully it'll kickstart the YouTube channel. And the YouTube channel will hopefully, with that amount of money, by the time that money's spent, I will have enough revenue from the, the YouTube revenue streams to go on and just keep this thing alive and that's where I am that's where that's where I am right now yeah. and and in terms of patreon as well like how is that how did that come to life and how do you think about so to me the dream like patreon is like the dream like that is I the fact that these things work is so crazy yeah like that that mm -hmm. Kickstarter works and that patreon works is so crazy to me and listening to Tim Dillon who's my like my favorite comedian I subscribe to his uh, page or I'm a patron to his patreon and he does he you know he does a YouTube podcast every week and a patreon podcast every week and you have to pay for the patreon one to get the patreon one and when i first started looking at his numbers he had like less than a hundred thousand dollars a month which is still a ton of money a month yeah it's crazy yeah. and then when i was starting to consider it i was i think i saw did you guys have jack conti on your mm -hmm. show yeah 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 so i think i maybe i saw that video and people were in the comments suggesting, do a Patreon, we wanna give you money, we wanna keep this thing going, we love it. So then I, similarly to the, you, to the Kickstarter, I started conceiving and writing out on paper, okay, what could the Patreon thing be? But the catch was, it had to fuel the YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. It had to make, it had to facilitate making the YouTube videos. It had to make them better. Doing the Patreon, it couldn't be a suck away. And that's when, I think, I don't know who came up with the idea. It might have been Isabel to have the Patreon podcast be the, the, the idea generating like writing room for the, you know, the, the YouTube uh, videos. And so that's what Patreon is. It's like I interact more with my patrons, like I answer comments and um, I do a director's commentary like uh, twice a month. So... Carl asked me um, about my daily routine and my childhood with Casey. And then I do, once a month, I do an interview or a, a discussion with one of my peers. And we talk about what the next month's, the first video of the next month, what it should be, the idea. So that takes all the writing burden off of that. Hmm, interesting. For the Patreon, I met up with E.B. Solace last month to come up with an idea for this video. I'm always really fascinated as to whether there's a moment in an artist's career where like that journey from innocence to experience is fully realized. You know, like was there an exact point when you're like, wait a second, I'm not like a Grom anymore. And then I also upload um, live streams. So I'm just talking to the people and looking at their questions. And that's really good for me too. And that's an hour of real time. That's just an hour. And yeah. they give me ideas too. So, okay, I'm racking my brain for two days trying to come up with the idea for the next video. I don't have to do that anymore because I got those, you know, my people supporting me, sending me ideas. Oh yeah, I'm making this one. I'm making this one. I'm making this one. And then I have my buddies coming and I'm making those. And then the archival ones, I don't have to do anything but talk into a mic and sync the sound up. And that takes, you know, two hours or something. And then that's fair to the patrons because they're getting all the stuff that they can't see anywhere else. 
And I just, I really hope that I can build that into something like Tim Dillon did, like build it into a big, because what Conti said, I think he said it on your show. I was on my motorcycle and I was listening to it. <laughs> but I, uh, on your show, I think he said that it doesn't affect the, the, the subscribership when people completely change the like the, yeah. the deliverables on the mm-hmm. on the patron Patreon, and I'm just like, this is an artist's dream between that and NFTs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that. I think the similarity there is for. that the people who are paying are paying for what it says about themselves. What do you mean? Like from an identity perspective, Chris, like Chris is a patron of yours. Yes. Chris does it because he wants to support you, not because he necessarily needs an extra live stream. Right. He doesn't need those things. Yeah. He just wants to be someone who is a patron uh, yeah, yeah, for you yeah. because it says something about his identity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That as a member of our community in our office, oh yeah, I'm a patron for Van Neistat. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That there's like social currency to that. And that's why people sometimes own NFTs that they don't need anything in return. Like yeah. you don't have to sell an NFT that gives you anything other than ownership. Yeah. If you're a patron, you're like on the team. Right, Which right. is very cool. Which yeah. Cool. Yeah. And it's very helpful to you because I think one of our concerns with Patreon has been in the past that we would overcommit ourselves. Right. But if you think about it in terms of adding to your team, being yeah. a part of the writer's room, yeah. then it's really valuable yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when you rank these different things, Kickstarter, Patreon, YouTube AdSense, like how do you look at those different ways of making money? I mean, AdSense is the one that's the most, like, wouldn't it be great, <laughs> you know, yeah. because it's just the performance of the video. Well, I'll tell you that, it, it, it you know, this past year was yeah. the first year we had any sort of significance in revenue from AdSense, and mm. it started in the end of last year, end of 2021, yeah. and we've been on YouTube since 2011. So what changed? just our consistency and our, again, our process and this, I think it feels much more right now that we are making media than we're making art. Yeah. Right? We're creating media. We've developed a format that is repeatable and that we can replicate every Monday and we have a process around it. We can build a team around it. We can instruct people on what to do to help us make that thing, which was never the case before, right? We, We couldn't build a team because we didn't know what to tell them what to do. Right. Now we have this thing that can be created and then can be refined. Yeah, that's right. I don't know what to tell people what to do because I'm just right. I'm building the flame, plane as I'm flying it. Yeah. yeah. But I understood going into this that the first year would be an R&D year. Totally. And I'm just throwing everything around. I, I understood that was part of the Kickstarter. It's yeah. like to give me the you know, the freedom to do that. And that's what this is. Yep. You know? and, I under, and now... I don't know, at some point I will, after I have, you know, I've got about a year, I can look at the numbers and say, okay, this worked, this worked, this, this, this. Would you want the career to go in a direction where, you know, Patreon grows, maybe YouTube AdSense grows, Mm -hmm. and and there's not really brand sponsorship? Mm -hmm. Because like kind of the foundation of the creator economy right now is advertising. Yes. Right, is that of interest to you or not as much? I would love to just be able to do this stuff at my own pace. I think that's really my dream, is to be able to, without any financial, within reason, but without any financial penalties, be able to like make this stuff at my own pace without having to, I'll still work 12 hours a day. I'll still work from 4 or from 5 a.m. until 5 p.m. five days a week. That's 60 hours a week, right? I'll still do that schedule. But I don't want to have to, I, I, my dream would be to not have to 
get the thing posted by Friday at blah, blah, blah. Like I'd like to be able to just work that on a schedule. And then at the end of the day, just be like, all right, I've put in my hours. It doesn't matter that I'm not done. You know what, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. I understand. There's an interesting exploration of what the product is because even what Colin's talking about of this like ritual of consuming content. For me, I think back to, you know, I mean, you, when we talk about Casey, he was doing it every single day. That was- It's astonishing. That's crazy. But I recall as a viewer of that, that if 8 a.m. Pacific time, it wasn't there, I felt uneasy. He told me he was in Cuba once and he was getting just bombed. Yeah. And it was like everything that could go wrong was going wrong. Right. And he still was like 20 minutes later. And people were feeling uneasy because yeah. where is it? This is part of my daily ritual. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so I think there's this experience of your creative is actually anchoring me in my experience of life. And like, it might be the price. Right? It and might it, be no way of getting around it. I hate to think of that. Because I think then, in, with YouTube, you have to be incredibly empathetic to not only the, the audience, but also to the platform. Yeah. So we, we describe this you know, concept of content market fit around, it's, a, it's three things have to be right. Yes. What you have to want to make it, the audience has to want to watch it, and the platform has to want it. Yeah. All three things, but two thirds of those things are not what you want to make. <laughs> necessarily. necessarily, like you necessarily. could get lucky and it would right. match up, but there may be some give and take there. Right. Yeah. But I'm saying two-thirds, the 66% the of that, you have to think about what the audience wants to watch and what the platform wants. Mm. But it doesn't work unless the other 33% is right, which is you want to make it. Yes. Uh, but you are thinking about all three of those things in a dance. And platform wanting it means regular, right? Yeah, they want it regular. They want a certain amount of retention, a certain amount of watch time on it. They want yeah. subscribers coming back for it. It's like, are you a trustworthy partner? Right. Yeah. Sometimes we talk about, you know, imagine you opened up a shoe store on Main Street, mm. but no one knew when you were open. Yeah. And even worse, if they could actually get shoes there. Yeah. And that's equivalent to like having a YouTube channel where you don't tell people when they can come get your yeah. videos and your videos change so often. That's yeah. like, I thought I used to get shoes here. And it's like, well, and today we're selling lollipops. Yeah. And you're like, well, I come here for the shoes. No, I get that. I totally get that. It's like, you have to conform to that, that thing. There is a conformity. I mean, there's a lot of blah, 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 but it's not like the whole paradigm is up for negotiation. Does that make YouTube not a place for artists or is YouTube a place for artists? You know, I, there's, I, I made a video, I think it was like called What is Art or something, but it's from, I stole the book from, from uh, Tolstoy and it's his definition of what art actually is. It's very thin. I think it's the last thing he ever wrote. It's like a hundred and something pages. And um, what he defined as art is, um, it's, a, it's a mechanism by which an artist transfers a feeling he or she experienced onto a, uh, onto a person who experiences their art. So, if, you know, the, the easiest one to, for example, is the comedian. Comedian had some funny idea that made him laugh or her laugh. And then she goes into a room, tells the idea, makes them laugh. That's like fucking highest form of art. Like that is the, that is art. Music is excellent at doing that, but it's a, it's a, it's a feeling transmission device. That's what art is. And uh, YouTube is a lot of information transfer. Sometimes it's feeling, maybe at its best, it transfers feelings from one to another. I'm like, I think about this stuff a lot, about why, about what, 
what is the artistic gesture? And like, I love to start from cleaning and organizing and getting everything clean and organized and perfect and put away. And then I'll hit something that is not only not cleaned and organized and put away, but like maybe broken or doesn't exist. And then without thinking, my body just starts to manipulate and change that so that the feeling is complete. And I don't know what the hell that is all about, but I think that I might have a knack for presenting that scenario to a person who doesn't, you know, who would never fix anything ever. And maybe they can get a feel for like, oh, you know, I went through this thing and there's like a weird, it's kind of a satisfaction. You know what I mean? Like when you make yourself a meal and you get to eat it or something. <laughs> yeah, I do know <laughs> that. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. It's like, ah, maybe it's like relief or something. Or it's like, all right, on to the next thing. But I also feel like I'm just trying to finish my math, my math, my multiplication tables so I can go out for recess. And all the other kids have already gone out because they're smarter than me. And I have to wait. I'm not done yet. And like... That's what it really feels like. You know, I think for creators, it's very overwhelming to look at what's happening on the platform now and kind of this, this chase for virality yeah. when actually, a, a, think about a group of 100,000 people loving your work. I know. It's pretty amazing. It's crazy. That's crazy. 10,000 people loving your work. Yeah. And some of your videos with a million on your channel. Yeah, yeah. But you really think about 10,000 people loving your work yeah. is a crazy thought for a creator or an artist or anyone who's making anything. Yeah. That's a dream. Yeah. There's 10,000 people who love my work. Yeah. So I think that the, the path to this you know, becoming a working creator is very real right now. Mm -hmm. And it's a very exciting time because of things like Patreon and because of things like yeah. uh, Kickstarter and, and the tools that are at your disposal to say, hey, if there are 10,000 people who love my stuff, yeah. there's ways for them to support me and there's yeah. ways for me to be supported. Mm. I'm trying to like understand life. <laughs> I'm trying to like understand like what the hell is going on? What are they not telling us? What's missing from, from, from movies or from what conversations I've had or what I was taught growing up? Um, and how can I express my discoveries of what that information is through things that are very accessible to people, like your car breaks down or whatever? I don't know if that, yeah. that mm -hmm. serves. Yeah, it makes sense. You know I like that. I mean, the small story that tells the big story. That's yep. what I'm after. I love that. That was perfect. Yeah. All right. Van, thank you. So great, man. This is great, Such man. Such an honor. I'm Can't so wait. psyched.